0: Turn to the book of Judges. The book of Judges. Judges chapter 1, verse number 3. Judges, very, very interesting book to read. Judges chapter 1, verse number 3. We will read verses 3 through 7. And Judah said unto Simeon his brother, Come up with me into my lot or into my territory that we may fight against the Canaanites and I likewise will go with thee into thy lot or your territory. So Simeon went with him and Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and they fought against him, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Three score and ten kings, I would be seventy, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done so god hath requited me and they brought him to jerusalem and there he died i want to preach for a few moments tonight on thumbs and great toes taken from verse number six and adonai bezek fled and they pursued after him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his great toes thumbs and great toes lord we thank you and praise you tonight for your word Praise God. We thank you for the power that is found through the anointing of the Holy Ghost. We're inspired. We are passionate. We are zealous about the things of God, and we're so very thankful and grateful. We come to you with a heart of thanksgiving. We ask that you would direct us tonight in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. can be seated. Amen. The name Adonai Bezek means simply the Lord. Adonai means Lord, the Lord of Bezek. He was a chieftain, warlord. He had been elevated to a position of authority and was the lord or warlord of the combined forces of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. It is obvious in the self-titled Lord of Bezek that this was a man that was very cruel. He was a cunning man, one who took pleasure in humiliating and mutilating his enemies. He boasted of the fact that during his reign he had conquered 70 other kings, chieftains, and rather than ending their lives or imprisoning them, he had delighted in humiliating them. I just want to say here at the outset, the enemy loves to humiliate and to mutilate, but God wants to bring healing and strength and encouragement and wants to lift up. Praise God. And somebody said amen. The world's interested in tearing you down, but God's interested in building you up. There are people close to you that are manipulating, trying to tear you down, but God wants to build you up. There are those that are deceptive, that speak evil things or around your back that want to tear you down, but God's interested in elevating you to a position that you are called a son and a daughter in the kingdom of God. I'm thankful to be in the kingdom. I don't want anything to do with the world, but I'm thankful for the power of God. Praise God. His interest was in humiliation He mutilated them by having their thumbs and their big toes cut off. When they were healed, he would bring them into his great hall and around his massive table his war band would gather together at feasts and councils and he would humiliate them. The rest of their miserable lives they would live like animals. They would live off the scraps that he would throw to them like dogs under his table. He delighted in their humiliation. He mocked them day after day and he gloried in their shame and their debased existence. The devil only wants to glorify the failures and circumstances in your life. He only wants to look at as what is what is bad where you have come up short. But I'm thankful in the house of God, this is not a place where we trot out all of your failures. This is a place where we glorify in your redemption. The enemy may have taken you captive, but God is a God that is able to redeem you from the hand of the enemy. I'm going to preach tonight. You may have come just to sit on a pew with your head down, but God is in the business of redemption and saving people from their circumstances. He has no interest in humiliating you or mutilating you, but he has an interest in elevating you. God, I don't know where you are spiritually, but if you want to fight tonight, let's fight. If you want to sit on a pew and you want to judge everybody, you go right ahead. You'll ride that sled right to hell. God's not interested in pile driving people into the ground. He's interested in building people up. You ought to be excited about that because you have no business being in here either. But God had mercy on you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. (laughs) You say, well, you're arrogant. I feel arrogant tonight. I really do. Praise God. I don't know what, what, what maybe the problem is on your pew, but I'm angry at the devil and angry at sin, angry at difficulties, angry at the fact that he tries to bring out every insecurity, tries to bring up every feeling of not feeling worthy and tries to run us to the end and tries to run us to the end of our rope. Praise God. I've come to preach tonight that God's not interested in that. If that's what you're interested in, don't let the the door hits you on the way out we don't want people in here that's gonna judge everybody we want people in here that's going to rise up with authority and say we're gonna pray mm. praise god praise god Yeah, I'm coming after you. I'm purposely digging around your tree. If you want to sit there and scowl at me when I'm preaching this, you need to pray through, brother. You need to pray through, sister, because God is in the business of saving people from their difficulties and their failures. well that's offensive i'm not i'm not trying to offend you i'm trying to offend the spirit i'm trying to offend the spirit that can't eke out a praise or a worship because god has redeemed somebody from the hand of hell The last thing, the very last thing that I need in my life is a church that's going to be judgmental. A church that's going to gossip. A church that's going to tattletale on everybody's insignificance and failure. I don't want a church like that. I don't need a church like that. I could go to the world and live in that. I need a church where faith is preached. I need a church where mercy is championed. I need a church where long suffering is found. Dear God, I don't know what it's going to take to get you out of your seat, but I'm going to keep hitting this point. Where would you be if God judged you? Where would you be in all your dysfunction and difficulties? You wouldn't be in this place, but because of God's mercy, He didn't humiliate you in it, He didn't shame you in it, but He gave you power and authority, and He forgave you, He gave you mercy. well 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 it's just pastor why did these former kings endure their shame this is where Adonai Bezek showed his cunning he recognized these four rather insignificant pieces of flesh provide the basis for essentially all that makes us human our fingers and our toes are important to us just go ahead and stub one or jam one now don't cuss Be a Christian, but there's going to be some things that come into your mind and out of your mouth when you step on that Lego or you crunch your toe on the edge of that corner or you step on that Tonka trunk. Any parents in the house, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Paul noted that we have smaller parts of the body, but they're very, very important. And he was talking about the unity of the church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, he said some members are weak and they're least important, but they're really the most necessary. And we're glad about some parts of the body. They're rather odd and they're rather small and they seem insignificant, but it makes for happiness among the parts so that the parts have the same care for each other that they do for themselves. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one is honored, all the parts are glad. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. All of you together are the one body of Christ. Paul said, in the body, we've got some members that are more prominent and some that seem insignificant. But every single part of the body is important. And your thumbs and your big toes are very, very important. And Adonai Bezek knew this. And so when he brought these kings, these 70 kings in, he went after their thumbs and he went after their big toes. Just let me interject right here. Praise God. You may feel like you're small and insignificant, but you have a part in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. You may not be a big head up here, but if you're a finger and a toe, if you're a thumb, you're important. You're absolutely important because we need you and and we need every part of the body to work. Together. Everybody is important. So he went after the thumbs and he went after the big toes. One of the reasons why our thumbs are of primary importance is because it allows us flexibility and it's the opposable digit to the rest of our fingers it allows us to grip things in a variety of ways the human grip can be amazingly powerful and because we have the ability to grip tools and to grip weapons we have always had an advantage over larger and more powerful animals because we have the ability to hang on to things we don't have claws we don't have talons we don't have scales horns or fangs well some of us don't some of us do Our skin is soft and easily penetrated. Our teeth are of little use in a major battle. Yet humanity is the greatest predator on the earth outside of our brains. Our other major asset is our thumbs because it gives us the ability to grip things and to hang on to things. And Adonai Bezek recognized this simple truth. And when he took away this ability from the kings, he took away their ability to grip anything he would never have to fear anymore they're stealing his scepter of royalty. He would never have to fear them grabbing a sword or a dagger or a club and finishing him off. They would have to use both hands just to grab the scraps off the floor and feed themselves. He was a cunning man, and he went after their thumbs because he knew he could humiliate them, shame them, and disempower them. I just want to say here again... God's not wanting to detract from your power. He's wanting to add to your power. My power is meaningless in and of itself. But when the Holy Ghost is in me, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. God's in the business of adding things into your life, not subtracting stuff from your life. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and thank the Lord together. Praise God. He went after their thumbs. He went after their thumbs and he went after their big toes, thumbs and big toes. Thumbs and big toes. The single greatest function of the big toe is to provide balance for the entire body. Much like the thumb, the big toe acts as a counterbalance to the heel of the foot. And this carries the main weight of the human weight. And the foot spreads the weight of the body over an extended area with two balancing points. You think about a human footprint, you see the heel. And primarily, you see the big toe. The heel and the toes particularly the big toe. Without the big toe, the human body loses the counterbalancing point and the ability to proper balance the weight of our bodies. That becomes lost. And the ability to stand, much less walk, becomes very difficult. Adonai Bezek took away their thumbs and he effectively took away the former king's ability to stand. What an absolutely disgusting scene the soldiers of Judah and Reuben came upon Don't know where they found Bezek, but they obviously came upon the scene of these former kings and their humiliated state. And so when they caught Bezek, they did the very same thing to Bezek that he had done to the 70 other kings. It was definitely appropriate that they dealt with him in the same fashion as he had done to others. They cut off his thumbs and his big toes. He lived out his days in the same debased state as the 70 kings that he had before destroyed. I want you to know something. This seems like a weird story. And if you read the book of Judges, you talk about amazing and weird and fascinating. This story comes right out of the first chapter. This is another example and type of Satan's methods. He is interested in humiliating you. He is interested in shaming you. He is interested in mutilating you you this is one of the reasons why I've stepped into this pulpit not angry at anybody but angry at sin I am so angry I am so done with sin because it is nothing but a lie the things in your life that were done to you maybe by your own doing and maybe by others that did it to to you sin has a nasty nasty bitter taste that destroys kills robs and destroys and i've come tonight to tell you thank god there is a church that recognizes whatever the enemy has done to try to kill you and assassinate you there is a god that wants to save you Satan loves to debase and humiliate God's greatest creation. He's been doing it from the very beginning. John chapter 10 and verse number 7, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal. Everyone say steal. For to kill, everyone say kill, and to destroy, everyone say destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I suspect that the enemy of your soul is very similar to Adonai Bezek's. He loves to destroy He loves to debase. He loves to humiliate. His hatred of the people of God stems from the fact that they are God's beloved creation and God made us in his own image. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm looking at a little bit of God. You're sitting by your wife. He likes nothing more than to devastate the kingly image of a man or a woman and make him into an animal. He wants to steal away everything positive about humanity and debase him as much as possible. He wants to line you up at his table and laugh at you, and make a comedy out of you. It is absolutely amazing how noble humans can be, and yet just as amazing and appalling at how cruel and debauched we can become. Pick up a newspaper and read the newspaper, and you will see humanity acting at its very, very worst. Like Adonai Bezek, there are two major places in the spiritual man where he loves to attack he loves to attack the thumbs and the big toes. He loves to take away humans' ability to get a grip on anything. One feature that is common among those most entrenched is sin, is their inability to gri- get a grip on both reality and morality. He wants to take away your grip, remove it from your grasp. We live in a world in which people don't have much of a grip on anything. They've lost their their ability to grasp and hang on to things that are of value, and the things of value slip right through. Thank God in the house of God, we got a hold of some things that are a treasure and are valuable to us. Do you value peace that passes understanding? I'm going to hang on to that. I'm not going to lose my grip in that, but there are people in the world that have no idea what peace even means. I'm thankful for joy, unspeakable and full of glory. I want to maintain my grip on it. Praise God, joy is more than happiness. Sometimes I'm not happy but i still got the joy of the Lord burning in my heart and in my life because I recognize the great things that he's done for me. He removes the ability to grasp anything and just like Humanity loses a grip on grasping things because they have no thumb. He also steals away their ability to stand for anything. Sin has a way of eroding, eroding every bit of our moral balance. And those in the grip of sin cannot stand for anything of value. Those who have their thumbs and great toes removed from them spiritually find themselves scrabbling about like dogs underneath his table. Their dignity and their ability will be completely taken from them and they will feel as if they are trapped in a miserable existence that they did not deserve but they cannot change. I felt like that one day but thank God when I came to the house of the Lord. Praise God when I met his mercy and his faithfulness to me. I recognized I don't have to sit at this table any longer. I've been sitting at it for too long. I've had no grasp and no balance and all the enemy wants to do is to destroy me but thank God God wasn't interested in destroying me God was interested in saving me yeah. Praise God I want to say this though ultimately the devil's going to he's going to share in the same fate Yeah, he is. Satan will not be the Lord of the lake of fire, but he'll simply be another one tormented that are there. He will share the same fate as those that he has destroyed. Just like Adonai Bezik, he will be brought as low as those that he humiliated. While there is a certain satisfaction that comes with this understanding, it won't undo what has been done to so many. I'm sure that the kings that he had butchered had some small satisfaction in seeing Adonai get what was coming to him. But it didn't give them back their thumbs. It didn't give them back their big toes. It didn't give them back their dignity and their humanity. And the fact that Satan will spend eternity in the lake of fire will not undo the eternity of all those that he has deceived and he has debased either. There should be a righteous indignation that makes you want to punch the devil with with praise and worship. There should be something burning on the inside of you with the determination that God can right the things that the devil has wronged in the lives of individuals. We We can't let Satan mutilate us. The Bible says that we should lay hold on some things or we should grip some things. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 7 says, We brought nothing into this world and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. He said, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good of fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on some things, Timothy. Praise God. Lay hold on righteousness. Lay hold on godliness. Lay hold on faith. Lay hold on love. Lay hold on patience and meekness and fight the good fight of faith and you lay hold and keep a grasp on eternal life. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 18 says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. Which hope? Which hope? We have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made and high priest forever lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. One of the things I've got to grasp is hope hope that maketh not ashamed. Hope that tomorrow is a better day. Praise God. You may be in the house of God tonight and, and today wasn't a good day and yesterday was even a worse day and the day before that was a terrible day. I'm preaching to you hope. Lay a hold on hope and say tomorrow is going to be better and the next week is going to be better. Three, day, three weeks down the road, three months down the road, a year down the road is going to be better. I'm not losing my grasp and my hold on the hope that God brings to me. We live in a hopeless world. I don't care what your situation is here tonight. There's hope tomorrow because Jesus is in the midst of it. God's the author of our faith and he's not an author of confusion. Hang on. Hang on to hope. Satan would love to rob of us our ability To find eternal life and lose our grip on the things that lead to it. He would sever you. Love to sever you from your toes. And remove your ability to stand. The scripture in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 talks about standing in grace through faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about standing in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about standing in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16 talks about standing fast in the faith. Galatians 5 says stand fast in the liberty that Christ has given us. Ephesians 6 says stand on the whole armor of God and stand against the wiles of the devil. There's some things you gotta grasp and there's some things you gotta stand for. Philippians says, stand fast in the spirit. Philippians 4 says, stand fast in the Lord. Colossians 4 says, stand perfect and complete in the will of God. 2 Thessalonians says, stand fast in the tradition of the apostles. There's some things I've gotta lay hold on and there's some things I've gotta stand fast in. When the world comes comes in like a flood. I'm going to stand. And having done everything to stand, I'm going to stand anyway. Storms may come, but I'm anchored to something that is more powerful than the storms. Praise God. I'm anchored into the anchor of my soul. I'm attached to the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ himself. Praise God. I'm anchored to something that is powerful. All these things add up to the same thing. Satan wants to make a mockery of us. He wants to take the sons and daughters of God and strip them of their nobility. Praise God, you need to put some things on, not take things off. The devil wants to strip you of everything, but God wants to put a royal robe around you and say, you're royalty. Praise God. You may not feel like it, but I'm here to preach to you and tell you, you are absolutely nobility. Praise God. Be careful what runs through your head and what runs through your mind because the enemy can play tricks on you and he can can bring about a a circus hall of mirrors to try to scare you and monsters coming at you from every angle. You just need to remember the word of the Lord that says you are a son and you're a daughter of God. Praise God. You are heirs of the promise and God has something significantly attached to you and you are valuable and you are wanted and you are affirmed and you're in the house of God and you matter and you're important. Oh, I wish somebody would preach with me tonight. You matter. You mean something. Don't let the enemy come in and bring confusion. And dysfunction say I don't know what you're talking about pastor you have lost your ever loving mind if you don't know what I'm talking about because this is what the enemy tries to do he tries to leverage our mind our failures our shortcomings our past and then he says you're not worthy to be used you're not worthy to be in the kingdom of God you're not worthy to be on the platform you're not worthy to be in ministry if people really knew who you were they would kick you out of here I'm telling you as the pastor I want you to know something and you hear me very very well. You are affirmed you're valuable, you mean something you need to kick the enemy aside and say you're a liar and you're the father of lies Pastor, I don't know why you're all agitated. I'll tell you why I'm agitated. I'm mad at the devil because he loves to destroy. He loves to steal, and he loves to humiliate. I'm preaching tonight. There is a God that's interested in more than that. He wants to elevate you in the kingdom. He wants to bring peace to you. He wants to put you at a different table, not to humiliate you, but give you the opportunity to lay hold on some things and to be balanced and stand for some things. You don't feel what's resonating in my spirit you're not connected nor sensitive to the plight of so many that come into the house of God. And they are so mixed up, turned around, upside down, they don't even know which end is up, and they're still dealing with the ramifications of stuff that happened a long time ago. I want them to know that I am an ally with Him. I am standing absolutely in solidarity with Him. This is not a pastor that's gonna trot it out and shout it to the hilltops, but this is a pastor that's gonna pray for you. That's going to get on board with you. It's going to face hell with you and say, you know what? A few days later, just just keep hanging in there. A few days later, you're going to have a testimony. And the testimony is, I should have not been here, but thanks be to God that I'm still in the house of God. And God's anointing is working in my life. Mistakes and failures are like severed thumbs and toes. Judas lost his grip and his ability to stand. Saul gave up the kingdom because he couldn't stand. I'm trying to encourage someone who feels the shame and desires dignity to be brought back into the picture. We need to fight like one of David's mighty men. In 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse number 9, there was one by the name of Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Eohite, one of the three mighty men with David when he defied the Philistines that were gathered together and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword. And the Lord brought a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to spoil. What are you hanging on to? What I'm hanging on to is a sword. What kind of sword? The sword of the word that is powerful. Praise God. The sword that doesn't destroy people, but the sword that uses the word to destroy every attack and angle that the enemy tries to bring against me. His hand clave to the sword. Or how about Shammah, which was the son of Agi the Herorite? The Philistines were gathered together into a troop and there was a piece of ground full of lentils and the people fled from the Philistines, but he stood in the midst of the ground and he defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord brought a great victory. One of David's mighty men, his hand claved to the sword, one stood in a lentil patch and said, I'm going to stand here. I'm not going to allow this to come into the hands of the enemy. Praise God, because I've got a grasp And I've got a balance. Praise God. Man, hang on to some things. Some things are worth hanging on to. Holiness is worth hanging on to. Don't lose your grasp, don't lose your balance. Yet some do. In conclusion, tonight's musicians come. Grace, I just want to talk about a God that is able to restore some things. The enemy may have cut off thumbs and great toes, but God knows how to restore some things in your life. Amen. He knows how to restore some things in your life. And I get a witness in this place here tonight. God restored some things in my life. Brought healing to my life. I'm fascinated with the story in Matthew chapter 12, verse number 10. Jesus in his ministry, I think it encapsulates... An Old Testament type and shadow it encapsulates in Jesus' ministry the difference between what Jesus does and what Adonai Bezik does. Chapter 12 and verse number 10 says, There was a man which had his hand withered, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days that they might accuse him? And He said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath day. Then he turned to the man. I know this man had a withered hand. It wasn't that his thumb and his toe was gone, but he had a withered hand. There was damage in his body and his life. Jesus said to the man, stretch forth thine hand. What is so fascinating to me about this passage of Scripture is the man has a decision to make. He has a good hand and he has a withered hand. We tend to always want to present the good side of who we are like resume writing. Only the good points and the highlights. We glory over the sorry details. Nobody wants to write that. Seldom do we present the withered parts of our life because that would be losing face. And so we smile and we keep the withered or shall we say the deformed hand undercover. We're too frightened to reveal the deformities in our life for the sake of perception and yet Jesus says hey stretch forth your hand the enemy of our soul would cut our thumbs and our toes off to disable us but God says stretch forth whatever is a failure and whatever is a difficulty and not only will I heal it but I'll restore it Praise God. Did you know that there might be people in the house of God here tonight that have no thumbs or big toes, but God is a God that is able to restore. He's able to completely restore. The man stretched it forth, and it was restored whole like as the other. Praise God. I feel there's a healer in the house to restore to those who have lost their ability to grasp and stand. You can't fight and you can't stand if you don't have full capacity of your hands and feet. But if somehow you could get it back. There is no way you can go back and fix some things. It's in the past. You can't go back and write some of those things. But God knows how to restore to those areas in your life that is so damaged. To where you can stand in the house of God with uplifted hands and say, if it had not been for the Lord, Praise God. There's a God that knows how to restore. (laughs) He knows how to put the thumbs back so that you grasp some things. He knows how to put the toes back so that you have balance. Amen. He's in the house of God tonight to reach out and respond to you. Praise God. Your temptation is not your identity. The things in your past that crop up every now and then, they don't dictate to you who you are. How about you open yourself tonight for healing how about you stretch forth that which is ugly and deformed and you say God I'm coming to you in the house of God because I know that you're a healer take me from the table of Adonai Bezek and take me to the table of the Lord Yeah, I'm preaching to you. I came for you tonight. You need to step out of the pew where you are. You need to walk to this front with confidence and say, I'm not going to let the enemy control me, dominate, dictate, define me. No, no, no. No, I'm in the house of God. And I feel the presence of God and the anointing of God. And I know that there is a healer. There is a great physician. That is able to do above and beyond what anybody could even think or ask not only does he just touch my body but he completely renews